So everybody has their kind of specific functions that they have to go focus on. But, you know, what I think about every day is how do you continuously deliver value? And I've got an amazing team of, you know, great salespeople who are, you know, in the front lines doing some great stuff. But it's a partnership. Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in-the-weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue-generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com. All right, guys, I got to give another shout out to a quick sponsor of the show, Chili Piper. Did you guys know that 60% of inbound leads don't convert to a meeting? And that you can double your inbound conversions by eliminating the waiting period between the form fill and the meeting? And so with Chili Piper, you can turn those leads into meetings instantly with intelligent rules that auto-qualify and route leads in real time. Also, you never let leads fall through the crack because they have a two-way sync with your CRM, which just helps also give you clean attribution on those leads at the end of the day. So with Chili Piper, you have no more leaky funnel. Instead, you've got more leads, more meetings, and more pipeline. Start turning leads into meetings today with Chili Piper. Visit chilipiper.com slash leaders to learn more. Hey, leaders, welcome back. This is Ledge. I'm really excited to welcome Sri Ayapin here today. He's the CRO of Argano. He's got a really great entrepreneurial journey, lessons learned to share. And Sri, I want to pass it off to you. I always say the guests can do a much better intro than me. You know your elevator pitch you know, sort of better than I do. So uh, introduce yourself, the company, and then we'll get into your journey a little bit. Absolutely. Ledge, thank you for having me. Uh, this is uh, fantastic. I've heard a lot of your podcasts and glad I could be a guest speaker someday. So thank thank you for making this happen. I would say, you know, I started my journey in, you know, in what I do almost 25 years ago. My, my original kind of the background, you know, uh, electrical engineer uh, wanting to become the best engineer in the world. And then within a couple of years of building very modern, complex systems for, you know, one of the largest companies that, you know, we know in the energy sector, I said, well, you know, I want to see the business side. I said, well, you know, two years later, I said, well, throw all the engineering stuff away. I said, I want to solve big business problems. And that's where I started. So um, worked for a telecom company for a while, solving their biggest challenge of how do you put these complex telecom products together for customers to buy with ease? you know, uh, use it with ease, install it with the, everything was about how do you do business with ease with all your customers globally? So, you know, we started solving those challenges in a big, broad way 20 years ago, and that led to an idea. You know, my co-founder partner and I, we said, well, let's go, let's go create a company that solves this for the rest of the world. Like the world is turning complicated. Products are complicated. Pricing is complicated. Contracts are complicated. Everybody is trying to personalize everything in this world. Even a water bottle today, you can personalize it the colors you want it. Well, how do you make sure that customers can do that with ease, you know, both on the sell side and the buy side? So we say, let's go start a company, uh, partnered with some biggest you know, software vendors in the world, said, how do you go solve that complicated problem from, you know, commerce to enabling customers to, you know, solve that with ease? And then, you know, ran that for 
over uh, 16 years. And uh, just last year, you know, we brought in a new investor and said, well, let's go grow this company to much bigger, broader scale. And then was Argano. Um, so it's about a, a year old company now. Uh, we have other joiners who have joined this platform with the same mission of creating this next generation kind of digital foundations that you know B2B customers can rely on, B2C customers can rely on, and really kind of build this next wave of modern enterprises that uh, can you know solve more complicated problems in the world. So I took on this role as uh, chief revenue officer, and uh, my goal is kind of help drive the the revenue growth for the company as well as our customer successes across the board. Great, great. Well, I love that because I do this uh, all the time for small businesses, you know, and sort of sitting in that the CRO seat. So we share that in common. And this make it simple question to, on the buy side and the sell side, I bring this is the core of how do we, you know, just make that whole buyer journey and seller journey uh, so much easier maybe try to break that down. Like what is the core thing there? Where does simplicity come from when you have what can look like a feature rich or, you know, sort of service rich type of environment. And many times for good reasons, we need different models. We need different pricing. Uh, but I mean, this is the core. It reminds me of one of the, like the real basic, you know, P's of marketing, like packaging, you know, what is this thing and how do we make sure that everybody understands it and that we can shorten the buy cycle. Exactly. Well, you know, I would say this, right? We live in this world of uh, mass customization, right? It's not, it's not mass production anymore that you just buy things off the shelf. It's mass customizations. The first and the foremost, call it the principle, that's super important is knowing your customer, right? Who do you are selling to? How do you want to sell it? How they want to buy it? How they want to consume it, right? So that is this whole... You know, if you look at kind of theories of how people interact, uh, you got this infinite, you know, loop of customer journey, right? From decision making to understanding what they want to buy in this day and age of, you know, Amazons of the world and, you know, things that they do in terms of reviews on the website. They go through all, all these decisions and finally kind of end up with, you know, here is a product I would like to buy. But from a B2B selling standpoint, if you make the options pick in a super, you know, ease, um, pricing it as super simple to explain, but behind the scenes, I mean, that's where sometimes the simplicity in the front lines uh, usually causes you to solve complicated problems in the back end, right? So if you can solve for complex pricing, solve for enhanced parts purchases and options that you can just in time procure and buy and sell, all these are, if, if solved right with a lot of flexibility, and the ability to kind of make changes to things. I mean, you know, pre-pandemic, you know, we have customers that their entire supply chain changed, their entire vendor ecosystem changed, their entire pricing change. But if you can solve for those complexities in the back end and project the simplicity in the front lines, that enables, you know, much easier, you know, customer transactions, much easier customer interactions. And now we're seeing this world of also, you know, converting products to services, right? So no longer people are just selling, you know, products and forgetting about it. You know, if you kind of convert that into how do you make sure you service your customers, right? Understand how they buy, understand the data, solve for the complexities, the backend with utmost flexibility. These systems are real. I mean, we've been doing that for 20 years now. And, and the good news is some of these systems we have built, it's uh, built to last. 
And, you know, 15 years ago, the systems we built are still running and solving, you know, big challenges for our customers. Sure, sure. I imagine that was a very heavy thought, manual, human service based process, you know, kind of at the beginning. And I'm always interested to hear stories of how something like that can then be, uh, you know, sort of run through technology. I have no doubt that you also have, you know, sort of a, a fairly high, uh, high touch type of engagement that has to go on when you're at least initially figuring out how do you get people into uh, the technology. Exactly. First and foremost, it's the people, right? So, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, Jack Walsh. You know, the, the number one thing he always said was hire the right people, right? So that's the first big decision. So we hire the, the best and the brightest of our people um, that are experts in solving complicated problems. And I say, you know, our our um, solution consultants are the, you know, the more complicated the problem is, you know, more enjoyable, you know, they, they feel like their work is. And we are experts in understanding our customers' situations and problems. I'll, I'll tell you with a, with a good story. You know, we love this world of kind of product knowledge, right? How do you make sure you walk into a customer, really understand the complexities that they deal with today, whether it's in their products, their suppliers, their pricing, their contracts, you know, one of the one of the largest initiatives we did a few years ago uh, was uh, for a large telecom company, kind of integrating three different you know global telecom companies together into one. Right, so they got a big presence in North America, big presence in EMEA, big presence in Asia Pac. You know, running multiple systems about you know sixty different systems solving the same problem between voice, data, video, long haul networks, short haul networks, defense networks, and all kinds and and you know we were tasked to come in and really say, okay, how do we solve this for the future, right? How do we sell better, right? I mean, we're selling to airlines, we're selling to France Telecom, we're selling to AT and T, but I, I, we just want to make this as super simple as possible. So we came in. I mean, within within a very you know short few weeks, we understood their products really well. So we don't just come in as you know here is a system that you can start using and making things simple. We actually understood their products. We played back to them. What are the different ways you can actually make this purchases easier? So when you start integrating the voice networks, the data networks, how do we put a solution together that I can buy those two systems together? And we started creating a lot of these different data models. We actually simulated certain ways of purchases. We took that in front of executives, like did a global roadshow of like, here is how people would buy in the future. Here is how you should think about it like five years from now. That's an amazing vision for the key business executives to think that's exactly where we want to be, right? So we're not there yet. How do we get there? And about, you know, it took about, you know, a couple of phases of just kind of change management, a lot of discovery in terms of global business process. So we kind of build a system for kind of the global way of thinking, but localized to almost every different region from EMEA to Asia Pac. You know, we launched this platform in like 25 different languages, you know, 25 different, you know, localizations for how, you know, people discount, how people price, how people contract. And it was a amazing success. And those systems are still functioning, you know, over many years. And, and the good news is we built it with such flexibility that they have kind of enhanced, acquired more companies through their M&A process, brought on the same platform. And, you know, what we built for, you know, $12 billion worth of revenue is now running over $25 billion of revenue. Right, right. And if you had to distill all that discovery down, how 
how does even a simple company really understand how customers want to consume a thing? That's a very different question than, and, and many times we'll see companies lead with marketing that just tries to jam a message down and say, this is how we sell it. And, and I will often have to change that conversation to, you know, th th this is what people want to buy and it's different than what you said. But I would love to get your insights on how do you really determine what someone wants to buy? Yeah, so I would say, I mean, in that in that context, uh, every industry is a little bit different, right? So we work with, you know, manufacturing and, you know, certain kinds of heavy industrial manufacturing, they sell very differently. Their customers buy very differently. There is, you know, high tech, you know, high tech is going through this massive shift of, you know, selling, you know, products to like now selling, you know, services where um, it's not just kind of, you know, sell once and, you know, forget about the customer. It's how do you, you know, continuously cross sell, upsell with your existing customers with new capabilities and new services add on. You know, one thing that, you know, we do is kind of bring in these market trends in terms of what B2B commerce of the future look like, how people have to think about what their customers are expecting. I mean, number one is, of course, the ease of business, simplicity. And of course, you know, every time I come back, don't, don't, you know, customers don't want to be repeating their ask again, right? So once they, once you know your customer, make them come back on your platform and, you know, make sure they're not trying to repeat themselves, know their customer, tell them things that they should know or be aware, even before they're thinking about it. So if you kind of take, you know, we take data pretty seriously. I mean, every company I believe, you know, sitting on an amazing, you know, pile of good data, whether it's, you know, customer buying patterns or behaviors of, or planning, right? How do they plan for their parts, their supply, their financial? There's a lot of good data. If you assimilate them in a way that you can actually make sense out of it and leverage those data as gold to deliver better frontline customer experiences and tell the customers before they could ask you what their answers are, uh, customers start working with you in a much bigger, broader, more intense way. I mean, you're talking about adding value prior to being asked for it. You exactly. Know, give give exactly. value early and often. Uh, I hear that brought up in context a lot of, you know, provide free value almost, you know, because it it sort of pushes along that reciprocity of, you know, like, hey, we care about you as a, a customer. And as you scale a business and do more and more and more and millions of customers, you know, whatever it is, hundreds of customers, thousands, millions, you will run into greater and greater pressure to standardize and automate and reach what becomes perhaps an inappropriate average of the customer that actually suits no one, you know, that you don't want to like, no person is actually the average of millions of persons as a, as a buying entity. So how do you achieve that balance then to, to personalize when it's much, much simpler and easier for us as the sellers to just sort of average out this non-existent ICP that doesn't really uh, match anybody. So, Well, I think that's what, you know, we, um, you know, especially in the systems that, you know, we build, we have very specific adaptive certain set of behaviors that we apply for different customer segments. And it's all automated, right? So we create these things called 
you know, what what does a high touch function look like? So there are some customers you absolutely need a super high touch because the systems are complicated, the pricing is complicated, the products are complicated. And, you know, across the board, like the entire interaction from sales to service, that's complicated. So that is a high touch pattern that we build. The same thing we do on the other end of the spectrum is this no touch pattern. So these are typically applied to either like a B2C where you don't have to have one human interaction. The systems make the choices, systems make the decision on the price, leverage AI, ML, and all the functions with data to go say, how do you automate this entire process end to end that you make this super simple transaction? And then in the middle, we call this, this kind of this low touch, which is, well, there are certain kinds of decisions that you have to help make for this customer. But at the same time, systems automate as much of those decisioning process. So, you know, once you build these systems with kind of these flexibility and you can kind of segment these customers into those models, they're not trying to build anything for one average experience, but you have these different variations that the systems automatically can guide you into making kind of the right paths and the right process paths for every customer segment that you have. And, you know, some of these, you know, large, you know, we just recently worked with a very large health and life sciences company built their kind of the global, you know, sellers and, you know, the service engine um, on a, you know, super modern kind of cloud-based environment. And we kind of apply the same pattern. I mean, you've got different kinds of customers from, you know, super large hospitals that buy, you know, 15, 20 million worth of goods, like in one order versus, you know, you got these uh, small clinics that may buy a few thousands in one order, right? But the system's kind of designed in such a way that you can kind of take them on different paths and provide that light, le right level of expertise and the right level of support that they would expect um, so that your end result or the end outcome is optimal for every segment that you service to. And so you've gotten to this place as a company and, you know, it's sort of, you can see that big vision now. I would love to take a few minutes and go back to sort of you and a partner at the proverbial kitchen table you know, kind of going, we're going to solve a big problem. Uh, yeah, we talked about, you know, everybody talks about hire the best people. Like tactically, I just wonder when you look back at at Shri, you know, back 17 years ago, what do you want to tell him, you know, about, I wish you knew this? Well, you know, certainly I think there is, there is a, you know, a few of those. Um, you know, first of all, I would say we pride and kind of betting on the right set of problems for us to go solve. There was probably so many problems in front of us that we could have attached our, you know, wagon to, but, you know, we picked these, you know, few areas that we believed was going to be, you know, ever complicated. It was constantly adding new mechanisms for customers to think about. It was the right path for us. So, I mean, in hindsight, I think we made the right choices. The, the one thing that I would say is um, there are certain industries that I believe we could have put some real emphasis on early on that we kind of, you know, later after 10 years of running the business, like maybe there are some industries that we should have automated. And now we're starting to see those industries are just coming out. You know, in hindsight, you know, we could have trailblazed in some of the industries that it's like, you know, we could have created some, you know, uh, the map of how those automation and how those modernization thinking could have been applied but you know it's never too late right now we are starting to see that now we are starting to see those industries you know come to light and say well i think we got to come up with a new way of doing business with our customers and you know now we are at the right time at the right place but um you know i would say you know over 17 years all the decisions we made and 
and the the things we learned out of it. At least in our major focus were you know manufacturing, um, high tech, financial services, and you know a little bit of you know health life sciences. But you know now we're starting to see more and more industries starting to kind of adapt to this new world of the 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 B two B selling and you know the planning and execution and how you actually modernize with these the right set of digital framework and we're we're in the right place at the right time. Yeah, yeah. Well, right place at the right time is is a special place to be. You know, you don't hear a lot of stories of people that failed to make that because those are the businesses that were too early or too late. Exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. You know, so I, I think being aware as a founder of potential and knowing that you can't do all the things and making those good choices, at least the most informed choice you can, that's the tolerance of risk that comes into being a founder and trying to blaze a path, you know, anyway. And you don't have you don't have all the data and and you have to make good choices. And you know, the availability of all this data and your systems to help customers make good choices is is a really big benefit that almost you could say that you probably didn't have for your own company. And is that, is that luck or skill or a mix or what, how does that happen? Yeah, I would say, I mean, I, you know, again, we go back to, you know, starting a business, you know, first of all, picking the right problems that you want to solve. Is that relevant in the market? Is that something that's long lasting? You know, of course, you know, every company you want to start building, you know, we, we all have these stats, right? What uh, one in uh, 5,000 companies kind of survive over five years <laughs> and profitable. And, you know, so, so the initial set of things were always, you know, are we going to, you know, build with the right set of people? Are we solving the right set of problems that's going to be, you know, long lasting, that's going to be uh, a sustainable, you know, business. And then, and then having the right mindset and right service mindset, you know, I'm, you know, one of the things that, you know, we always say that, um, that we were very successful in doing is, retaining customers for a very long time. You know, once you start thinking about delivering good value to customers upfront and you do that on a yearly basis again and again, solving new challenges, new problems. Again, the theme of how do you create this adaptive, flexible platforms that customers can rely on to run their business for the future. And we take the same mindset internally with, with our people and say, well, we got to have that same level of service that we have to deliver. It's not through systems, but just how do you think about their problems? How do you understand their problems? And, you know, most customers um, almost claim that, you know, we understand their problems way better than they understood just because of just the global knowledge that we have had. I would say when you put all those right ingredients together, you do need a little bit of luck. You know, sometimes I always say it's the right place at the right time, but, you know, it's the right problem set, the right people, the right mindset, the right mentality with a little bit of luck. Um, I think we can go build it. And I would, I would say, you know, we're on this next generation thinking of, you know, taking, you know, Oregon out to the next level now with a big, broader set of, you know, capabilities, right? So now we have, you know, capabilities to not just execute a, a B2B commerce, but now we have, we have the capability to do the supply chain, right? We have the capability to do planning, right? You know, for whether financial planning, supply chain planning. At the same time, really kind of put that right, you know, multi-cloud framework underneath that. So, as we can expand the capability that we had as as Kess and now you know with the world of Oregano, you you start to think about solving this problem with the right set of digital approach, the right set of digital foundations that for the next foreseeable future kind of 
you know, takes our customers to kind of the, the next frontier, right? So I think, uh, again, it's the same thing. You know, you got to be at the right place at the right time with the right set of people, the right set of approach. Um, I think I think companies are, you know, good companies with that right set of, you know, approach or can deliver some amazing successes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to talk a little bit about the chief revenue officer, CRO role, which mm-hmm. uh, you and I have like uh, probably similar pedigree and age, and that didn't exist when um, I started selling, you know, that yeah. became an interesting <laughs> new thing. And uh, I'm curious, you know, as the as the founder, you clearly ended up and thrived in what was really the business development, sales, revenue role, uh, which means you probably have a, an operating partner or some sense that is uh, what would be that, you know, traditional president COO type of path. And How's that different and how do you know where you belong as a founder? Because we deal with a lot of of founders who are at that crossroads, like I can kind of sell and maybe I love selling, but who's going to run my company? And, you know, how how do you know who thrives where? Because you ended up on the revenue track, which means you meaningfully stepped away from operating. Yeah, well, I, I'd say it's, it's a transition. I think, you know, I'm picking up, you know, work with other uh, companies, similar size and scale and like you said, I think everybody has a different set of, call it, you know, skills that they believe could, you know, add value to taking the company to the next level. You know, certainly I think I've been on the operations side. I've, 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 you know, run operations for a while. And, you know, I would say, you know, looking ahead as the CRO. And of course, when you think about the role, there is part selling, you know, which is kind of the revenue growth and all that. But, you know, I look at uh, revenue as a much more kind of holistic view of it's not just selling, but it's also how do you sustain this revenue, right? So there is a little bit of operational element to it to go say, how do we make sure our customers are continually successful? Uh, It's not just, you know, sell once and forget, but it's like, how do you continue to kind of create this motion of driving constant new value delivery on a day-to-day basis and you know i've got you know a coo that kind of runs the operational side of the house um, there is the cpo who runs the people side of the house so everybody has their kind of specific functions that they have to go focus on but you know what i think about every day is how do you continuously deliver value and i've got an amazing team of you know great salespeople who are you know in the front lines doing some great stuff but it's a partnership, right? So I, I think about it, where do I believe that I can add the most value? Then I say, well, I pick the revenue path because I know here are some few strategies that you can deploy and apply that that continuously adds the, the growth that you need. So, you know, ultimately it's, it's uh, you know, I could sit here and say, I just kind of naturally landed here, but, but it's, I think I would say a lot of this is very intentional in terms of, where you can, you know, find that right path of, you know, growth and, and uh, you know, enable the teams to be successful uh, in a certain function. And, you know, I've got some amazing, you know, partners in crime, uh, you know, with the, on the people side, on the operations side that, you know, every day makes life, you know, super easy for all of us. <laughs> that's, that's good. You talked about that early move from, or that early hunger, desire to leave the technical track and solve business problems and do business things and that that was my my same path also and i never would have said that i will end up in some kind of 
you know, Uber sales role or, you know, revenue or anything. <laughs> I mean, I didn't even think about that, but yeah. I did have that interesting hunger of just, I want to do business. And, uh, and I learned it, you know, as, as we, we went along. So maybe the message to hear from those, those share story, shared stories for the, the audience is if you have, if you're in that practitioner or technical kind of role, you just have this business hunger, maybe the revenue track is the one that uh, that you want to look at. So we'll leave that out there and say maybe uh, our shared experience is useful for that. And let me turn to, you know, sort of put your futurist hat on because there's so much to be gleaned now from, I mean, technology allows us to do things in B2B that we never would have imagined in the scale of, of what we're trying to solve, uh, let alone, you know, all the old uh, global pandemic, you know, interrupting everything. But you could talk about, you know, even if it went off the, the COVID track, you could talk about, you know, sort of cataclysmic uh, macro events, you know, that the more complicated we make business while also trying to make it easy to sell means you have backsided and sort of hidden the complexity. And uh, macro events don't tend to to play along always, you know, kind of in your favor for that. So, you know, I just wonder where the thinking is now on what's next, where, where are we going to, to try to figure out this just massive level of complexity in the marketplace? Yeah. You know, like as you know, shared before, like, you know, 20 years ago, if I thought the world was going to get complicated um, again, just kind of leaning on this post uh, pandemic, uh, if there is a post uh, still, we're, we're <laughs> right. kind of in that in that cycle. Um, it's going to get even more um, kind of you know weird and complicated. Um, you know, we're starting to see this trend of, you know, your supply chain is disrupted right globally. Uh, people are moving manufacturing sites from country to country now. Your pricing and cost model has evolved. I mean, not just kind of products cost, but even people cost have shifted. So everything is up in the air, right? In terms of how do you think about the future and what problems are you going to be solving periodically in the next 10 years? You know, I, I was, you know, recently at, a, at an event at uh, uh, SMU where, you know, I'm, I'm starting to hear, you know, math models, you know, being built where, you know, the, the question is, when does the world come back to the state of normalcy that we experienced call it January of 2020, right? The same level of consumptions, same level of travel patterns, same level of, you know, you know, people sh- moving between countries. And all models point to like 2030 or 2031. Right? I mean, it's going to be, you know, we got to get through the, the variants that's going to impact and disrupt different countries, kind of how they operate, uh, supply chain, uh, pricing, cost model, margins. So what this is going to cost for, you know, I would say customers and even, you know, most companies, including us, by the way, is uh, cost is evolving, cost is changing, or supply source is changing. And we got to constantly adapt and, and evolve and change. And, you know, more and more, um, there is that complexity of these unknowns, and you got to solve for these unknowns and create, you know, systems, create processes that are designed with adaptability in mind, designed with flexibility in mind, because things will evolve, things will change. And, you know, you got to be able to, you know, change in, in a you know, week's notice or a day's notice. So that's what we're, we're dealing with now. So we're helping 
you know, companies think about in the next five years, right? You got to have these systems so flexible that, you know, you can, you know, adapt to changing environments, uh, changing, you know, situations. And, um, you know, we're solving those problems today. You know, we believe if you kind of lay those foundations correctly with the right platforms. And in our mindset, we could think about that as the planning phase of everything. There is the execution and the course correction, right? So if you kind of think about those three tenets, and then those taking those three three teams, like how do you create those flexibility in your you know patterns? Whether it's you know you're building a commerce engine or you're building your supply chain engine or you're building a financial engine, take those same themes of planning, execution, and course correction that allows for people to think about you know their customers, think about their products, think about their service in a way that that can can help them adapt as you know, as things evolve and. You know, those are, you know, sometimes very complicated uh, situations that you have to solve. And that's what that's what we're doing for our customers day in and day out. Yeah, absolutely. And has has the disposition disposition that that you have all had for the business even evolved then? Because, uh, you know, I don't know that while we all would have talked about in January 2020, we need to build flexible, adaptable systems because the pace of change is greater than ever before. I mean, you could you could read that on any consulting company exactly. website, but like exactly. now it's like, it's here. oh, we really need to do this. <laughs> exactly. You know, like because <laughs> if if you had any strategic plan in 2019, right. would have in no way represented the risk of a global pandemic. Yeah. And now you would be a complete moron as a business planner if you right. didn't plan exactly. for cataclysmic, you know, multiple country event that you never would have thought possible. And I just wonder, has it changed the risk tolerance and distribution of risk management and of, you know, flexibility, agility? Like this is no longer a thought exercise like it, it was. Yeah, It is here. I mean, I, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, even, you know, Two years ago, right? I mean, it's just like, yeah, these are, you know, buzzwords that you hear everywhere. But I think people were thrown into it, right? I mean, just the last 18 months, people were just told, you know, it's no longer a buzz. It is a necessity, right? This is this is like food and water. <laughs> you you better adapt and change and, you know, create the flexibility that you need. And, you know, just it's, it's, it's one of those things that it taught a lot of people different set of skills that, that how you think about these situations and apply. It thought about people um, to think differently and apply um, different set of risk inputs to your decision making, as well as I think it just kind of opens up the possibilities of, you know, there are there are other risks that we haven't seen before, but it opens up possibility of what if these happen? And that's where there are these systems like, you know, uh, there is, you know, enterprise performance, you know, management. Like, how do you start thinking about data in a way that, you know, when you start thinking about planning the business, you know, in your strategic plan, you start to do multiple models. So you start to do different waters and really kind of come up with different ways of optimizing. But it's it's the new way of life. And that's how, you know, every every process, every every decision or, you know, every every structure needs to be thought through. And, you know, with the with the enhanced, you know, possibility of new risks and new changes and you know that's the way we think about it. And it's not just not just for B two B companies. I mean, this is as a whole. I mean, this impacts uh, people's personal decisions, and and everything has to have that different set of risk mindset kind of applied on top. And that's a new way of life, man. Yeah, 
I can't put it better than that. You know, so and and this idea of return to normal, uh, it just completely ignores the fact that you know the fundamental systems are all changed, so that there simply cannot be a return to normal. If you were to be along that baseline, would be I've got to unlearn risk tolerance and agility. I've got to assume that a bad thing will never happen again. <laughs> and I don't think that's realistic. So, you know, the math models and the variables, like it's just a level of complexity that, you know, is is here to stay. And and I, I certainly resonate more with the, you know, there is no return. Now, what is the assessment of the world uh, for all of us who, you know, have, have just been thrust into change and and maybe you know hey let's put a positive spin on that you know we all we all learned some things we all exactly pick, I mean, picked up some new skills and exactly. um, you know maybe there's more efficiency to be gained and more opportunities and this is a once in a lifetime shift for entrepreneurs you know that you can look at opportunities now and it's not just about remote work and you know i i encourage people to to really stretch their brains and kind of think about like systemically what new opportunities are available. Any thoughts there? You know, we'll leave with a, a sort of big idea place. If if you what are you what are you sketching on the notebook for, you know, next adventures that you may or may not ever do? <laughs> well, you know, I would say just just in the um, in the the next uh, few years, you know, as we think about the the growth of you know Organo and the impact that we want to create. So we we think of there are two sets of major impacts that that we want to accomplish. And and um, the first is customer impact, client impact, in a way that it it impacts them positively as they're you know working through kind of this you know post pandemic kind of this you know drawing board of how their systems needs to work and how they need to function, how they process. You know we're coming in with a lot of different experiences that we have gathered, and how do we deliver it to them in a way that it's meaningful. And we can walk away, you know, three or four years, five years from now and say, we created these positive impacts for these businesses. That's kind of our number one priority. And, you know, we're coming up with, you know, things around how do we deliver better planning systems with, with a lot of these different kinds of risk model baked in. How do you make sure the execution platforms are a lot more flexible, agile, and can change? And, you know, how do you make sure we now data tells you something? How do you, you know, measure, analyze, and course correct, right? So, so that's the big impact. The second impact, of course, is the people impact, right? What impact are we are we delivering for our uh, employees of, of the company, as well as the people that we work with for our customers? So everybody has their, you know, their the personal life impacted uh, through this process. Their 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 patterns of how they work is changing going forward. But at the same time, we want to make sure that impact that we leave for our people and our customers, uh, employees that we work with, you know, they feel like they, they have this positive, you know, outcome, both in terms of things they've accomplished, they've, they've, they've delivered, as well as things that, uh, you know, they have touched and, you know, feel, feel the pride. So, so that's our, you know, top two kind of goals and everything do we do, every decision we make kind of align around those two. And that's, that's our our plan. So anything that we're thinking about, you know, results into those two, and those are leading us to, you know, think about kind of what new solutions we want to, you know, offer. How do we go back to our existing customer, you know, uh, base and and have better, newer, 
conversations that could deliver those two impacts. And and I tell you, it's going to be a busy uh, next few years for all of us to you know make that a reality. Absolutely true, Sri. Thanks for for coming out today, sharing the, the insights. I, I love the conversation. If anybody wants to uh, learn more, reach out to you. What are the best channels to to do that online? Um, um, I'll share my uh, you know LinkedIn uh, or uh, Twitter at Sri Iapin on Twitter and uh, Sri Iapin on LinkedIn. Um, always online and and available and happy to chat with anybody who wants to chat. Spoken like a revenue guy. Me too. Yeah. Me too so. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming out today. We really appreciate it. Sounds good. Thanks, Lynch. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com. Mm-hmm.